near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Today we're going to share the experience of Chuck from Enderf.org. Chuck says, I was swimming in cold ocean water off La Jorla Bird Rock Beach. My swim buddies were returning to shore as it was way too cold for my comfort. Only one friend, Ted, had had the good sense to wear a wetsuit. As I attempted to follow, I was caught in a severe riptide. It pulled me both out of the sea and north rapidly. My swim buddies were already climbing up on shore as I tried to swim to, toward them. Soon I was completely exhausted, much more than two or more than two hundred yards from where I had started to struggle, and found I was unable to swim, paddle, or even stay afloat. My friends were much too far away now to help me. I managed to yell help once and then realized I was done. I could not be sure they could even see me from where they were, much less hear my pathetic call. I began to ponder the discomfort of drowning in the cold water. At first, it hurt to swallow the water. In short order, it became tolerable, and then I began to sink, the waves breaking over my head. As I resigned myself to my fate, I found myself suddenly in this brightly lit tunnel. I remained in a watery environment. The water was no longer freezing and uncomfortable, but warm and natural. I was gently deposited on the edge of a smooth, cement-like, poolside-like decking. It was very bright, very warm, tropical, but also very foggy. I could not see beyond a few feet, but I recognized this place as home and new home was just to the left of me, somewhere beyond the fog. I was aware that being on earth was a mission, not the end-all reason for being. I was so relieved to be home. I anxiously waited to be contacted and knew my friends and family would soon appear. As I relaxed on the edge of the deck, I was aware of a small voice behind me calling my name. I did not want to turn around and acknowledge it for fear that I might not be able to remain. The voice became more and more insistent. I knew somehow 
if I did not turn around, I would not have to go back. I also suspected that, that if I did, I would. For some reason, the voice finally compelled me to turn and face it. Wham! I was suddenly back in the cold ocean water, struggling for my life. My friend Ted swam to where I was. For him to have reached me several, several hundred yards from the shore he had been on, uh, that he had been on would have taken him many minutes under these conditions. That means I was underwater for over ten minutes. I was so angry with him for pulling me back from home. I had no reason to have regenerated the strength to swim again, so it made no sense to me that I was so, or, so it made no sense to me that I was suddenly able to swim back to shore. Still, with Ted encouraging me, I somehow swam back and collapsed on the shore. Since then, I have no fear of death. I have faced many dangerous situations as a police officer, both before and after, without fear. But knowing there is really no such thing as death does make a huge difference. That is the end of Chuck's account. I think that's the big message that I see in Chuck's experience, is that there's nothing to fear about death. I mean, even, you know, when he goes under initially, it's, it's uncomfortable for a bit, and then, you know, it, it sounds like the, uh, the pondering of the discomfort of drowning that he was about to experience as he realized this was about to be the end was probably the um, most unpleasant part of the experience, that anticipation of it. But he says, at first it hurt to swallow the water. In short order, it became tolerable. And then I began to sink the waves breaking over my head. As I resigned myself to my fate, I found myself suddenly in this brightly lit tunnel. Drowning, again, seems to be one of the fastest uh, ways to propel into a near-death experience. Please never try this, but just know that uh, drowning's dangerous. <laughs> Water's dangerous. It, it, it doesn't uh, um, serve to... Uh, well, my um, oh, hesitation toward deep water. I've, uh, for most of my life, I've had a little bit of a fear of drowning, probably from a couple of near drowning experiences I had myself as a child. Um, neither of which that I know of led to any kind of near death experience. And also, I don't, uh, I, I, there was no moment of unconsciousness. So, but anyway, the point is, is that it propelled me into this long life of, of, uh, of a slight fear of water, of deep water. I, I can manage it, but it always had a little bit of a uh, eeriness about it, something of a claustrophobia-type feeling just being near deep water. But um, I was able to overcome that. I'm sorry I'm going off on a tangent. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but I was able to get a swimming pass one year and go swimming once a week until that fear was gone and I became quite a, a decent, not a fast swimmer by any means, but, uh, you know, I do just fine staying above water now as well as diving and, and all kinds of things. But uh, um, 
it's interesting to me that this that so many of these experiences come out of water and i think one of the reasons for that is simply that that uh that since it's one of the things that quickly propels a person into a near-death experience the survivors which it's not uncommon to revive from drowning if if they're caught right away um 10 minutes is a long time and so this is kind of rare in that sense but uh but the moment he goes under and and gobbles some water up or drinks some water he ends up in a tunnel and uh because people are able to come back uh, from the and be revived from a drowning, they're able to tell us of their experience. Many other things, such as cancer or a disease or something, are slow and long drawn out, so that by the time you have a near-death experience, your body is already gone. And uh, or or accidents where you're hit by a car. That I mean having somebody get hit by a car and go unconscious and not be killed from it, that that's a very fine line to walk. Whereas drowning, as soon as you gulp up some water into your lungs, you die. And, you know, it's an, a way of instantly stopping the ability to breathe. And, you know, again, never try to put yourself into a near-death experience. That's a form of suicide, which we see over and over again is a mistake is a bad idea but um just i just find that an interesting data point on uh on water it it just keeps coming up as one of the most common um things to cause a near death experience anyway <laughs> sorry about that tangent um so chuck finds himself um first in a tunnel and then on, in some kind of a watery environment, which is interesting because that's how he dies, is, is watery. But he finds himself on this smooth cement-like decking. He says it's like the, the side of a pool, sort of. He says it was bright, it was very warm and tropical, but also very foggy. He could only see a short distance away, and he knew that beyond this fog was home. And he wants to go there. I'm not sure why he doesn't walk into that fog. It's it's unclear because he clearly does not want to return to Earth. He he says he's ignoring this small voice behind him, probably his friends shouting uh, for him to come back um, on the Earth. But he's trying to ignore it because he wants to go home. He, he feels this love and propelling feeling toward home and he wants to go. But this uh, voice shouting uh, is calling him back and he finally gives in enough to look back and the moment he looks back, wham, he's back in his body. This tells me that calling out to your loved ones who have just died or have just been in an accident or something, saying, don't leave me, don't, or don't leave us, stay with us, can be effective. Not just because, um, you know, trying to wake their body up, so to speak, but also because sometimes their spirit on the other side can hear you and your incessant calls may call them back. Now, I recommend not doing it with such distress and trauma and bawling and so forth because that tends to, as, as I've heard in these experiences, that seems to 
um, scare them away, not scare them away, but, um, you know, they're like, oh, this is, this is just an unpleasant atmosphere. I don't even want to be here. And then they whoo, go off and onto some further experience. But those who are in a calm setting and, and have a loving voice calling them saying, you know, it could be a spouse at the bedside or whoever saying, please don't leave. Please come back to me. They listen to that. I find that interesting. But again, after this experience, Chuck has no fear of death. Zero fear of death. Let's read one more. This is a short one by Jill from Enderf.org. Jill says, I was around three or four years old. My older sister and I were jumping on the bed in our parents' bedroom. I remember almost in slow motion being in midair and her pushing me. I flew off the bed, hitting the floor. The next thing I knew, I could see everyone around me crying and shaking me. They were saying, She's blue. Jill, wake up. Somebody do something. I remember thinking, What are they talking about? Because I could see everything they were doing. I heard everything they said, but I couldn't do anything about it. I tried to make my body move, but it wouldn't do what I wanted it to do. Then, in an instant, I remember being in the corner of the bedroom, underneath the ceiling. I seemed to be floating there, watching everyone run around frantically, trying to get me to regain consciousness. I remember feeling a very comforting female presence, even though she never spoke to me. The next thing I knew, I was back in my body. I remember my aunt going to the bathroom to get cold washcloths to apply to my face. I remember her putting them on my face and then suddenly being able to move my body as I wished. Then I awoke. Everyone was very upset and crying. I remember telling them that I, had, I heard them, but I couldn't move. I n never knew what to call it until years later when I heard a similar experience on TV. It was then comforting to know that I was not crazy and that these things really happened to me. My whole f family remembers these events. My aunt remembers me being blue and not breathing. She remembers going to get the cold washcloths and my return to consciousness. That is the end of Jill's experience. And how that that is a very typical kind of experience that you'll find on enderf.org. If you have not visited the site, most of the experiences are very similar to this one. And um, the only thing that kind of drew me into this was the fact that um, she doesn't seem to have a break in her consciousness except that she remembers waking up, which is interesting because she never loses consciousness, but she also does wake up in her body. And so there's some kind of a, you know, uh, going from an unconscious state to an, to a conscious state, but without ever losing consciousness. I just find that interesting. And, um, and also that, uh, as she is back in her body, it's the cold washcloths to the face that wake her up. There's some, there is a connection between the body and the spirit that remains 
for some time. It, obviously, once a spirit is long gone, that connection is usually lost. But when they're near like that, either physical contact or something like, you know, something that will, um, I don't know if it was the coldness of the washcloth that shocked her um, spirit back into her body or something, but that's another thing. And, and doctors know this. They, you know, that's why you have someone slapping the face. Hey, hey, stay with me, stay with me. It's, they just know that that seems to be effective, keeping somebody uh, conscious and awake and alive. Uh, you know, if only for a short time, you know, it's kind of a, a bridge to until they can, you know, deal with the problem in such a way that they're not worried about losing the person. But um, even in this, from the spirit side, there seems to be something to that, as Jill's experience demonstrates. Anyway, found those uh, experiences interesting. Um, it seems that from near-death experiences, we find that the purpose of this life, that there are many purposes, that we have missions to fulfill, that we have destinies to fulfill, but the overall arching message is one of love, that we are here for love, and that we, are, and that we have missions to fulfill within that realm of love. And if we are questioning what to do now, what to do next, love can be a guiding principle in that, and it ought to be. So, if you would like to contact the podcast, you can do so by either emailing me or John, that would be Chaz or John, at ndepodcast.org. You can also support the podcast by uh, either purchasing my book, Life in the Spirit World, which is on uh, our website, neardeathexperiencepodcast.org, or by going to, uh, if you go to patreon.com slash ndepodcast, you can become an ongoing monthly contributor there, and that helps basically keep the lights on with the, with the website. So thank you all of you for everything. Thank you for, for your listening and just being here, even if you don't contact or you know provide some kind of financial support for the podcast we're just glad to be able to provide this service to everyone so once again thank you all for listening Mm -hmm.